The word this morning comes from Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning we begin a new series, and this series uh, will last for five Sundays, so the month of January. And the, the title of the series is to put first things first. So that seems fitting, doesn't it, for uh, a new year as you perhaps, like many people, evaluate um, the prior year. You sit down, you think through uh, how things uh, used to be or were at least in 2021, and, and uh, you assess where you'll be in 2022. I want to set the historical scene for you because it is significant. Haggai, most likely is a book you've never read, most people haven't. It is a book that most pastors don't preach through. If you're looking for it still, go to the end of the Old Testament and go back three books and there you'll find it. It is only two chapters, 38 verses. Uh, it, it just seems significant. And this morning, what we're going to do is just get an introduction to the whole uh, uh, two chapters of Haggai, and then over the next four weeks, we'll look at uh, four sermons Haggai preaches here, four sermons. Uh, each sermon will get its own Sunday. What do we learn from Haggai, and what does it have to do with today, with your life? This morning, if you are here and you have feelings of insignificance, you wonder, do you matter? Does your life matter? Do you or will you ever make a difference? You need to lean in and listen to God's word through his prophet Haggai. If you're here this morning and you wonder, uh, what God's will is. Things seem to be swirling out of control around you and you seem to be able to do nothing about them. Maybe the word futility comes to mind or emptiness. Uh, uh, you, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Then this tiny little 38 verse uh, uh, book of the Bible is for you. Haggai finds himself in history at an interesting time. You see, uh, about uh, 70 years before his writing, uh, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. 
he wanted to get to the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And in order to do so, to extend his reign there, Jerusalem lay in the way, as did Judah, uh, the, the Jerusalem being the capital city of Judah. And so Nebuchadnezzar came storming into Jerusalem, and when he did, it was destructive. It was devastating. Uh, there were not rules for engagement in war then as there are now. What he ended up doing was coming into that capital, uh, finding in the palace the king whose name was Zedekiah. He took Zedekiah out and he uh, found Zedekiah's sons and he marched Zedekiah's sons in front of him. Uh, as Zedekiah watched, he killed them each and every one. As Zedekiah, the king of Judah, stood bound and then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes so it would be the last memory he had as a man with vision that was ruthless, it was war in that day. And then he hauled off Zedekiah and some others, you know their names, Daniel, Shadrach, or as one of my Old Testament students said on their final, Shatrat. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He hauled them off uh, to, to Babylon along with thousands of others, but only the best and only the brightest. And there they were in a strange land, surrounded by strange people who had strange customs. They lived there for 70 years, as Jeremiah predicted. But some things happened, and if these things did not happen, there's no way they will ever come home. And it is from those events that we discover uh, something about God. You see, one of the tendencies we have when our world is unraveling is to try to grab all the threads and, and weave it back together rather than look to God who is the grand weaver of all things and let him do the weaving. Uh, we have a tendency to want to wrestle away from him uh, the threads of our life, don't we? And, and do our own weaving, our own designing, and uh, uh, find ourselves as those people described by Haggai. They, they eat, but they're not full. They drink, but they don't have enough. They work hard and put their money in a bag with holes in it. We find ourselves there, don't we? It seems empty, life seems futile, things seem not to make sense, they seem not to work. So this morning, it is my privilege to introduce you to a God who is above that, to a God who sees it from a vantage point that you and I never will. And just to say two things about him this morning, and, and by, by our, our, our end time, there will be, how then does this affect you and me? Uh, the first uh, reality of this God is that he uses whom he chooses. God uses, uh, God chooses whom he uses, rather. Uh, 
So if Nebuchadnezzar stays in power, there's no return of the people. He, he's way too brutal and way too greedy for that to happen. And so historians are still baffled at how this massive kingdom of Babylon rose and fell, but it did. It rose quickly, it fell quickly, and Persia then became the next large kingdom. Uh, but the first king of Persia, he wasn't friendly toward the Israelites, so he came to an untimely end. If you read that history, and this king, Darius, came onto the throne. And, and Darius, when he came onto the throne, had a different attitude toward God's people Israel. And when he did, he told them they could return right on cue with what Jeremiah had prophesied 70 years. So Darius tells them they can return. They come back, uh, uh, not all at once, to Jerusalem and to Judah. And when they do, they start to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezra covers that. They start to rebuild the temple and the walls. Nehemiah covers that. So they begin to do it. Uh, they get the walls done, but the temple, it, it, they, get, they get tired. They grow weary. They, they, they stop the work. It's how some of you feel this morning. You made a New Year's resolution and you've, you've already blown it. And that was two days ago. Uh, that's what happened. They, they started the work, but they never finished uh, the work uh, that they started. They just, they, they stopped. And as a matter of fact, for two years, uh, it, nothing happened. The temple was in ruins. And so God is going to choose somebody to send them back. Uh, it's called the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is his rule over the course of events of human history. And uh, so uh, they start, they, they quit, uh, but God wasn't finished. Years ago, I heard this. It's a little catchy and maybe, maybe could be cliche-ish, but it, it, it sticks. History is his story. It isn't yours or mine, it's his. That's the sovereignty of God. It is a story that he is writing, one that he is unfolding. Terry Silver walked up to the guest tent this morning and she said, you know what's amazing is a year ago, a year ago I was wondering how long I would be in the world and a year later she walks up in great health, uh, God having not only spared her life but I think just from looking at her, giving her better health than she's had in years. Well, why? I don't know except to say that history is his story, amen? It is a story that God is writing, one that he is unfolding, and, and so God chooses whom he uses. In the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month, I love the historicity of just that statement, don't you? In the second year, uh, uh, the sixth month, first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Do you know what? That's all we know about him. His name is Haggai and he's a prophet. We know nothing else. Go to Isaiah, we know about his call. You go to Jeremiah, we know about his call. We know about Jeremiah's family. We know that Amos was a farmer before he was a prophet. We know that Ezekiel was called when he was 30 years old. But all of a sudden we get to, we get to Haggai and well, there's Haggai. 
It's just there's Haggai. That's all we know. He, his name is Haggai. We don't get his family lineage. We don't get the nature of his call. And, and not only that, Haggai served for all of three months. His prophecy spanned a three-month period. If he served longer, we don't know about it. There's nothing written about him There's, uh, that, that would give us insight into anything longer than three months. Well, what does that tell us? That God raised him up for such a time as this. He was a contemporary of Esther, right? That's that famous Esther quote. God raised him up for such a time as this. Uh, A time is what? I imagine he's standing in the middle of the temple ruins when the words of verse four come out of his mouth. Whoever Haggai was, he didn't care to uh, say things and he didn't mince his words. He looked at the people who must have been walking by, not even paying attention to the temple and said, These words, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Ouch. They're walking by. They've come back and they've forgotten the temple, right? This center of worship, this place where God's glory, uh, his manifest presence would come and meet with them. They've forgotten that, but wow, their houses are looking good. Uh, they've figured all the things out in their, uh, what's happened? They've, they've put the first thing second and the second thing first. That's what's happened. What mattered most is mattering least, and what matters least is mattering most. Some of you are there this morning. Haggai wasn't alone. His word came to two leaders. You've got Joshua, who's the high priest, and you've got uh, Shealtiel, who is the governor. Now, prior to the exile, you had three prophet, priest, and king. Uh, There's no king now, uh, post-exile, no king until the, the king will come on the scene as a baby boy. His name is Jesus. We just celebrated that. But there's no king, but there's a governor. He's in charge of government. You've got the priest in charge of the temple area. You've got the prophet Haggai who is speaking the word of God. The three of them together, God has raised up. I want to ask you a question this morning. How does God want to use you in 2022? I, I, I would, uh, how many of you are tired of the pandemic? All right, so if you didn't raise your hand, you, you, uh, you need help. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just so frustrating, isn't it? But could I remind you, could I remind you, every single one of you, and, 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 and we have kids in here this morning, all the way up to, to old people, right? We're everybody in between. Love that about our church. Just a big uh, 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 range of age here. God? Had you lived during this time on purpose? Every one of you, every single one of you, there are generations before you who did not live during a pandemic. There will be generations after you who will not live during a pandemic, but here we are. It's us. It's part of his plan. You can wrestle with him all day long about how he makes plans, but I'm just saying to you, you live for such a time as this. What is God's will for you in 2022? 
How might he use you where you live and where you work and in the domain of your home, where you go to school, uh, the university you attend? What is his will for you in the practice you lead and the patients you see and the students you teach? What is his will for you in 2022? Mike and Judith Spath were in our early service. A couple years ago, they believed God's will for them was to move up the mountain to little Switzerland. And for those of you who are new to, to Grace, there's a place nearby called Little Switzerland, um, and it's up the mountain a ways. And so they moved there, and two years in, Mike and Judith uh, lead a life group in little Switzerland as people gather uh, at their home to study the word of God together. And those people trek down here to church. Where, where, what's his plan for you in 2022? You see, history writers have forgotten Haggai. It's interesting who was a contemporary of Haggai, born in the same uh, century. You've, you've heard their names, two of them, Confucius and Buddha. Both philosophical and religious leaders who were contemporaries of Haggai. Uh, history remembers them, but God didn't use them. He used an unknown, almost anonymous prophet to stand in the middle of temple ruins and say, how can you live in your paneled houses while God's temple looks like this? I'm speaking this morning to teenagers who think because acne has popped out on your face that all of a sudden the biggest problem you have is acne that's popped out on your face. Well, that's not true. Everybody in here who's been through teenage life has probably had a bump or two occasionally. Some of us have had more. You see, we have a tendency to think that what's in front of us is really the biggest thing. It's, 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 it's what we get fixated on, isn't it? It's the, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a God in heaven who is looking out over the grand scheme of things. Um, it's called the secret will of God. The secret will of God. We'll look at two kinds of the will of God this morning. The secret will of God is the the the. God who works in ways we cannot see to do what we do not know that he is doing. We, we're not God and we'll never know. It's his secret will. There's a tendency to think that the most important people on the planet, at least this week, are Biden and Putin. Just like there would be a tendency to think in that day, the most important man on the planet was Darius. No. No, 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 no. In God's plan, his name was Haggai, and that's all we know about him. He was God's man for three months. God moved Darius' heart to tell him to go back. God moved Haggai to speak truth. God chooses whom he uses. Secondly, God chooses what he uses. God used in Haggai's day the spoken word. 28 times in 38 verses, these phrases occur. 
28 times. There are 38 verses in Haggai. 28 times Haggai refers to, quote, the word of the Lord, this is what the Lord Almighty says, declares the Lord Almighty, says the Lord, the voice of the Lord their God, the message of the Lord, 28 times. God still speaks today, amen? How does he speak? Hebrews 11, one and two, listen in. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the Haggai's, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his who class? His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. If you say, I just feel like God is silent, could I direct your attention to a cross on a hill? I just feel like I cannot hear the voice of God. Could I say to you, if you're in here this morning and you're doubting him, welcome. If you're in here this morning and your trials have caused you to wonder, is God here? Does he care? Could I direct your attention up a hill to a cross where God hung on a cross for you? where he died for you, where he, from that cross, looked at the ones who were crucified him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Could I say to you this morning that since Jesus died on the cross, there's been a reverberation throughout all of history since then, and God is speaking through his son Jesus. Amen? And I would just say, if you could measure God, not by your life, but by his death, there is such a different way to look at life. And if in so doing, you could travel just three days hence from that crucifixion and see the earth begin to shake and see the tomb rolled away and see Jesus Christ resurrect from the dead and promise life to you, that is God speaking. He speaks in these days through his son. God speaks through his son, Jesus. Uh, God speaks through his word. That's why worship at grace is centered around the word of God. It's centered on Jesus. My opinions are my opinions, and so are yours. This is not a time for them. This is why we have refused in the, uh, the, the craziness of the last two years to just to take the political road. Why? Politics come and go, do they not? Christ is the same. God speaks through other godly people. He does. Every one of you needs somebody in your life who speaks truth Now, that may be a husband, it may be a wife, it may be your life group, your parents, or even your children. A godly friend, every one of us needs truth tellers, don't we? Why? We fool ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We convince ourselves we're good when we're not. God speaks through his son, Jesus. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other godly people. And God speaks through our circumstances. He speaks through our circumstances. Have you ever um, been reading maybe a, a Devo or a verse and something just pop out to you, right? Then you tune in to Carol in the morning 
And she says the same thing. You're like, hmm, how did Carol know? Well, if you know Carol well enough, we can't give her that much credit <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, how does that happen? God wanted you to hear that. If it comes this way and that way and that way, God is saying, listen, listen, listen. Um, God speaks through our circumstances. A couple weeks ago, Joe Milner, who's sitting on the front row right here, he reached out and he said, Jerry, we're about to be done with the Riddle Project and we're going to dedicate it to the Lord. Can you come? So I headed down, I think it was a Friday and and uh, before Christmas, I think. And it was someday the week before Christmas and Joe was there along with others who are in this room and others who have worked tirelessly since since June, I guess, on this project. If you're unfamiliar with the Riddle Project, it, it was uh, a project that came to our attention, Miss Riddle. Um, she and her husband began to build a home out on Ashworth Road, um, and he died in 2015, and the work on the home stopped. Uh, she lived in a single wide in front of the home, and the work on the home stopped, and uh, the house was framed and studied, but that was it, roofed. And so somebody brought it to our church's attention and we began to work on that home and, and Joe led that effort for us. We stood there that day in a completed home. You see, since then, Miss Riddle now has custody of four boys between the ages of two and 12. And she's raising them alone. It occurred to me a couple of things. It's just many things occurred to me as I stood there in that circle. And uh, folks shared of the blessing of the Lord, the provision, the needs met at different times in that project to get it to the finish line. How the Lord worked. You gave uh, as a church a couple times. Just retirees uh mostly went and painted and worked and did, but one of you brought your construction crew and put the floor down and uh, just a number of people involved. And there stood Miss Riddle and those boys. And she began to speak and cry and talked of how her husband would have loved to have seen this. And I looked over at those boys between two and, and 12. The two-year-old wasn't there, but the three older ones there were. And I thought, you know, what a legacy you now have. Here's a community who built your house. and They all joined us for worship a couple weeks ago. But here, and, and here you stand, and you're standing on some pretty tall shoulders of a strong woman who's going to get you to the finish line. And, and they're going to spend, and they spent Christmas in their new home, a triple stacked bunk bed in their bedroom. 
Joe texted me later and he said, Jerry, one of the greatest days of my life that was. God speaks through circumstances, doesn't he? At times it's a word of encouragement, at times it's a warning. But he speaks. Haggai says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. You know what I wonder? I love you. I wonder how much you've done in 2021 and God just blew it away. That, that's what he says here. You're like, God does that? Well, he did it then. And since he's immutable, Dave referred to that. He doesn't change then. Yeah. He says, um, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, you're doing the first thing third. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I've called for a drought on the land, and, and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Can I ask you a question in love, 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 love this morning? What is it going to take for you to say, okay, God, I'm tired of doing life my way? What is it going to take? Why is it that other people around you look at you and go, they're miserable? but you don't see your own misery. They're empty, but you don't see your own emptiness. They're bitter, but you don't see your own bitterness. What, what is it going to take? God used the weather to get their attention, didn't he? He caused the rain to stop, which caused their crops to die which resulted in a, doubt, in a drought. Look at the first phrase of verse 7. Consider your ways. Uh, five times this phrase occurs here in these 38 verses. Consider your ways. We've talked about God's secret will, that, that grand will of God that, that we can't see. The other will of God is God's revealed will. There is his secret will. You uh, might think of it as the meta-narrative, this grand unfolding of a plan. But then there is his revealed will. Do you know what I think happens? I think we get so hung up on his secret will that we don't do his revealed will. You say, Jerry, what is his revealed will? Love your neighbor as yourself. Have no other gods before me. Anything in the word, that's his revealed will. It's not as hard to know God's will as we think. That's my point. Uh, bridle your tongue, act justly. Micah said, love mercy, walk humbly. Don't, don't murder, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, don't slander, don't gossip, don't boast. That's his revealed will. I think, I think we ponder the secret will and in so doing, neglect the revealed will. 
So I have three questions, and these are, these are real reflective questions. They won't be on the screen, but I'll share them with you just very, very slowly. Number one, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, where will I be this time next year? If I keep doing what I'm doing now, where will I be this time next year? Number two, what one thing could I start or stop doing today that would change the course of my life for God's glory and my good? What one thing could I start or stop? Here's what I've learned in discipling people through the years and in my own life. I can get so caught up in all the things that I feel like I need to start and stop that I don't do any of them. Anybody else with me on that? There just seems so much. And I'm like, ah, you know, do you ever receive that Christmas letter from that perfect family and feel like a failure? Do you follow? Like you go, how? Like how do they do that? And how are they so perfect? And that, that, so, so take it down to one. What one thing could you start or stop, right? Start or stop that would change the course of my life for God's glory and my good. Number three, this is huge. Who can help me? You need help. You say, I don't. You need it more than others. That's the truth. It's just... A couple months ago, somebody left our 5 p.m. service. He was coming down off of a high so bad he could not even control his movements. I texted him. I said, you didn't seem to be in a good place. I know he's a recovering addict. I said, I really would recommend counseling, et cetera, et cetera. And he said back to me in a text, oh, I don't need that kind of help. Right? Let me, let me just say, we all need help, amen? amen? Every one of us. Everybody in the room needs help. Who can help you? Let me review those questions. If I keep doing what I'm doing now, where will I be this time next year? What one thing could I start or stop doing today that would change the course of my life for God's glory and for my good? Who can help me? Can I say something? After um, just all the years of ministry um, in, in my own experience, and remembering a Howard Hendricks quote, um, I think help is usually much closer than we realize. Howard Hendricks said he'd been married about 10 years and had like these pent up secrets that he thought he could never tell his wife. Uh, Howard Hendricks was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, brilliant man, godly man. 
And he said, finally, I decided it was time. I, I just had to lay it out. He said, so I went and I, I, I planned it and I sat down with her and I laid it out. And I laid out these things that I've been holding in. And I waited and she said, okay. And he said, that's it. She said, that's it. He said, yeah. She said, well, I've known that for 10 years. They just need to talk about it, didn't they? Help may be closer than you realize. It, it may be nearer than you think. Lord, thank you for your word. I love how practical it is. Haggai said, just go up to the woods and get some, get some wood and bring it back and build the house. Father, I pray for people. May they leave here and may you reveal to them that one thing. I, I'm thinking for many, it's quite clear right now as they sit in their seat and then may they share it with someone who can help. And may 2022 be a year of your glory in their lives and good. Not filling bags with money that have holes. Not drinking unsatisfied or eating and staying hungry. But truly, Jesus, as you taught us, seeking you first in your kingdom and knowing everything else will be added. Help us to get our math straight. Us do the seeking, you do the adding. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been good to worship with you today. I have a couple of things before you go. If you are new to Grace, we're glad to have you. This is your first time. You can stop by the guest tent on your way out. Jerry will be with you uh, to talk with you there. And we have a gift for you also um, if you want to stop by there. Also, if you're new to Grace and you are, are new today or you've been around for some time and you're looking for your next step to get connected here at our church, Starting Point is your very next step. Starting Point is a class, a very seminar style that will meet next uh, Sunday at 1230 with lunch and child care provided. We would love to have you there. You can scan the QR code that uh, is on the screen or you can go to graceforall.org slash info and you can register for starting point. Uh, but we would love to have you for that. Also, Jerry mentioned earlier, we have a family meeting this Wednesday at 630. If you're a member, you want to make sure to be here for that. And then uh, lastly, one of the things that he left us with, I want to reiterate is one of the questions that he said is, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, where will I be this time next year? 
And as you think about uh, thinking about where you want to be in a year, our desire, and I hope your desire, is that you know Jesus and are closer with him more this time next year than you are right now. And if you want to know uh, how you can draw closer to Christ or you're interested in, in how you can do that, our staff will be up front. If you need prayer, we would love to pray with you, but we would love to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Hope you guys have a great week. You're dismissed. Hope to see you next Sunday.